This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Our guest is Pat Flynn. Thanks for being on the show, Pat. Absolutely, Whitney. Thanks for having me. I get asked every week, numerous times a week, has it been worth it? Like to do a podcast, it, you know, has it been worth it? And you can't put a dollar amount on it, but no. I can tell you, it has given me so many connections to people that otherwise I would have never had. I would have never met you, Pat, you know, right. if it wasn't for this podcast, you know, right. so, you know, and, but you can do other things too. It could be a meetup or it could be a blog even, or it could be a YouTube channel where you're interviewing people or things like that can also be thought leadership platforms mm-hmm. that will kind of do the same thing if you're not into podcasting. But either way, I encourage people to have some type of thought leadership. But, you know, what about just the, of course, I I was in military as well. And I relate a lot of the mindset that I have, you know, just like driving through. And I've got so many examples, even as far as like in boot camp to where, you know, it's helped me to get through things now to keep pushing, keep driving forward. And I'd love for you to elaborate on just your mindset of getting started and failures or rejections and things like that. So, If you had asked me that question six months ago, I would have had a very different answer. What I attribute it to now is a word grit. Have you heard the, I think her name's Angela Mc, I forgot the name, but she wrote a book. She also has a TED talk. It's grit is the persistence to push through to a goal, even when things get bad, even when uh, things seem dismal, that persistence and mental toughness to push through is what it is. And I agree with you. The military helps a ton on that. But that's what it is, is having that mental toughness. That's what separates the people, at least in the single family space, I'm sure it's syndication too. That's what separates the people that are successful and aren't. I get lunch with uh, probably seven or eight new wholesalers a month that are looking to get into the game. Probably less than 5% are successful. What usually happens is they'll start sending me deals. They'll start sending me stuff off Craig, not deals. They'll start sending me stuff off Craigslist, stuff off Zillow that I'm seeing already from five different people. And when I say no, 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 no to everything they send, they get discouraged after they send me 50 deals. And then I just never hear from them again. But they don't understand having the big picture to know that, you know how many deals I have to look at to find one? Hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. It's not like you look at 50 deals and... You haven't made 20 grand on a flip, so you get discouraged and you know walk away from the whole business. It's having that grit, that resilience, that mental toughness to push through when things don't go so well. Even today, doing 25 or 30, 20 to 35 houses a month, I mean, we lose on houses all the time. We have weeks that we don't buy anything. We have weeks that we just buy crap. You know, it, this business ebbs and flows. You have to have that mental toughness to push through when times are good or bad and that unwavering faith that everything is, if you set your mind to it, that have the confidence and unwavering faith that you will reach the goals you want. That's what separates people, as I would say, grit. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. What is it, you know, during that time of when it is so tough, it's down, right? And things are so tough. What are you like telling yourself then? What are you reminding yourself of? How are you keeping your mind in check? You know, okay, I've got faith to keep going forward and doing this. That's an interesting question. I haven't had anyone ask me that before. For me, I'm very driven in that when someone tells me, you know, when I hear no, no, no on the phone, it really, it really doesn't 
affect me very much. Of course I get down some days and I'm like, why am I even doing, you know, that comes, those thoughts come into your mind on weeks where it's rough and you think you'll never find another deal. What gets me through it is just, I have my daughter now and that's really all, all I care about is providing for her, providing for my family and having those negative thoughts, trying to think of exactly how I push through it, but I just, I just don't let them affect me. You have full control over how you react to things. I don't get emotional about it. I think it's come it's that emotional intelligence has come through knowledge and reading because I used to be when I worked offshore on drilling rigs I was a hothead like everyone else out there. Get pissed off if something didn't go your way. But if you get that emotional intelligence to not react emotionally to everything that happens and you know why you're doing everything, which for me it's my daughter, you can push through those and it's it kind of doesn't affect you anymore if you know that it doesn't really matter. All that matters is the end goal. So hmm. I would say, long answer to your question, I would say it's knowledge and reading mindset books, reading philosophy books about how to react to things in life and just reacting the right way would be my answer to that one. Great. No, it's a good answer. I appreciate you elaborating a little bit. But yeah, having full control over how you react to things. You can't please everybody, right? You no can't way. please everybody. <laughs> it's going to happen. Emotionally intelligent. And uh, yeah, I liked how you said... All that matters is the end goal, you know, and really keeping that in mind. And obviously, when you have a child, things change, right? Or, you know, how how you perceive things and see things in the future. But what would you say as far as whether it's in a partnership or finding the right partner or scaling now or something that the hardest part of this business or the real estate business, what, what has that been for you? I think the toughest part has been that grit piece, because uh, in the single family space, there's always a lot of competition and it's always a cutthroat game to find deals. So it's tough when you're first getting started and uh, you know you fail, 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 fail over and over again. You go through a bunch of weed through a bunch of stuff and you finally find a deal, right? And you go and you're, you're bidding and they're also talking to other people. So you think you have them, you think you have a great rapport and then they sell to someone else. That's the toughest part is going through the failure and having stuff or stuff you think's under contract that you think is going to close, fall out last second. And that's, that's the toughest part to me, having that mental toughness to push through and just keep going. That's why most people, that's why most people end up dropping out or failing is because they're like, this doesn't work. This is too hard. There's too, or they don't understand how much failure it takes to have success. That's the hardest part is keeping your head right during the beginning and keeping that unwavering faith that it will work out. For me, that was, that was the toughest part. You said they don't understand how much failure it takes to have success. That's, I, I love that. Is there a great book that you would recommend that, that maybe that you've read recently as far as around the mindset? My favorite one recently that I've been talking about a lot is The Compound Effect by uh, Darren Hardy. I like it because it's such a it was a quick easy read and it makes so much sense and it gives you a little bit of pers- it gives you a lot of perspective about doing the little things each day and how the little things grow and grow and compound and it's it has so many uh it's the same as like you know, he talks about flossing your teeth somewhere in the book and how compounding flossing your teeth over the time, how that changes things. And it's the same as like buying rentals. I remember I bought my first rental at the beach. I, I overpaid for it probably by, you know, 50 grand or so because I wasn't networking with people. So I bought a rental at the beach, overpaid for it. It was a pain in the butt to get the loan, 20% down conventional mortgage. Me and my girlfriend at the time, 
were in there working every day, sweating, painting walls, doing flooring. I had no idea what I was doing. Spent a bunch of money, wasted a bunch of money, had contractors screw me over. It was just such a pain. And it finally got done and it finally got rented. And I felt like my child was going out into the world as, as that house got rented. And it made 150 bucks a month, right? It's like, it's like nothing. All this work, $240,000 mortgage, all this time and effort into this house that's now making 150 bucks a month. And I'm like, God. but buy another one and that's 300 bucks a month. Buy another one and another one and another one. And that compounds to the point where you have more money than you could ever want. Now we're at 60 something rentals and that compounding of 150, 200 bucks a month, all the appreciation, depreciation, that stuff compounds to where it's, you could never imagine, but it's hard to see when all that work on the first one to make an extra 150 bucks a month. So that's why I really like that book is put stuff in perspective and talks about compounding, which is crucial in this business. Are you ready to take the next step in your multifamily investing career? The time has never been better than now. Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop is a comprehensive live training course that will help increase your skills, knowledge, confidence as an investor before you invest. This workshop is a unique experience that provides hands-on instruction and guidance directly from Mark Kinney, who has completed over 100 multifamily syndications valued at over $1 billion. This course goes beyond theory as you will be presented with real case studies and practice scenarios to work out in class. By the end of the training, you will have significantly improved your ability to evaluate deals quickly, make informed decisions, and take your investing skills to the next level with confidence. For more information and to register for Think Multifamily's Deal Analysis Workshop, go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W, use code Whitney100 to save $100. The Deal Analysis Workshop is designed for both beginner and experienced investors. Whether you are looking for a foundational understanding of how to analyze multifamily investments or looking for fresh insight on how to pivot your analysis method, For this current market cycle, this is a workshop you have been looking for. Register today at thinkmultifamily.com forward slash D-A-W. Use code Whitney100 to save $100. Our guest is Bill Allen. Thanks for being on the show, Bill. Whitney, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. Excited to get to know you a little better. Pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, thank you. I want to say firsthand, thank you for your service. I appreciate your service. And and uh, for those that don't know, a Navy pilot and real estate professional, CEO and owner of Seven Figure Flipping and host of the Seven Figure Flipping podcast, where he leads the top house flipping and wholesaling mentoring groups in the world. Just a few years ago, stuck flipping one to two houses per year and doing all that work himself. But since then, he's built a systemized business that runs without him. Wholesaling and flipping company Black Jack Real Estate is based out of Nashville, Tennessee, and does upwards of 200 deals a year throughout the Southeast with a staff of 15 people. So I love that just building systems. I'm a systems guy. I love thinking that way. How can we do this? How can we optimize things? How can we make things happen without me having to do it, right? I love just that mindset. And it sounds like you have just mastered that in this business and uh, not only in flipping, but you know, you've also, as we were talking about is it allowed you to do lots of other investing in larger deals and syndications just to create wealth for yourself and your family. Uh, but 
you know, Bill, give us a little more about maybe, you know, who you are, and then let's just jump into some of this, the systems and just the mindset behind it. Yeah, before I do, I want to say thank you for your service too. So we know each other through a military connection, right? So I can't get off this without thanking you. It's been my honor to serve and everybody that's gone before me, it's just amazing. We have a volunteer service. It's, it's awesome. So yeah, I, yeah, my background is I was an engineer. So I have an engineering background. I was a test pilot in the Navy. So some of that stuff comes into play in the things that I do, like the systems and operations side, what's working, what's not working. And I just got frustrated with the stock market. I wasn't making enough money. And I have no patience, so I want my net worth to go up. I would constantly track it. And uh, I got into, I was buying a couple houses, fixing them up, renting them out when I would move from the military. And sure enough, I started to see my net worth go up and my bank account started to rise and I could control that. So got into real estate, flipped a house and my realtor actually, it was a rental actually. My realtor said, you could sell this and make some money, made $43,000 and said that was half of my annual income. Let's do it again. And so that's when I kind of started down that journey. I struggled like a lot of people do to try to figure it out on my own. And so I found a mentor, found somebody who's doing what I wanted to do, kind of latched onto that, that group, that person, and just started taking the systems that other people were using and implement it in my business. So I know somebody who's systemized when I see one and I've gotten about 15 email updates of to be on time for this podcast. So you're definitely a systems guy. You have backend systems that are really great. I'm actually going to hack some of that stuff myself. So cool. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. Uh, yeah, you have to. I mean, you have to think that way. You have to think that way. It amazes me. You know, people have been in the business for so many years, and there's some simple things that could make your life so much easier. But I'd love to dive into, you know, when you started thinking that way and some systems, you know, that's helped you to scale the way you have. I know leadership is a big deal, and, and maybe the military helped you with that. And maybe you could, you know, teach us a little bit there as well, but to what that's looked like to lead your team and, and to be this successful with a, you know, team of 15 and do 200 plus deals a year. Yeah, I think, you know, like you asked where to start with systems. And I I feel like a lot of people think that it's like a software service or something that you need, right? That's the thing that's going to get you where you need to go. It's like, give me the system. I get people all the time come to me and say, what's the system? I want the system. Give it to me. And I don't want to like take the air out of your balloon too early, right? But to me, the system is the people, right? And I think you talk about leadership. First, you lead yourself, and your family and your community and your church group and everywhere that you go. But then you start like casting a vision and figuring out where you want to go. So I think the first step is understanding who you are, what your skill set is, and then building things around you. So there's strengths and weaknesses that we each have. And a lot of people say, okay, work on your weaknesses. I think that's a load of garbage. I think that you need to like focus on your strengths, really be strong there, and then figure out how to like strength, like outsource your weaknesses for other people or systems or processes. And so that's what I did. I was like going to the houses and banging the hammers. I was doing all the things. I was working in the business instead of figuring out what I'm really good at. And what I found out now, what I'm really good at is kind of casting a vision, giving direction, seeing the future, and then helping people get there, like motivate them to put them in the right seats in the right place to motivate them and lead them to their great aspects. Like what do they do really well? And then what I find is for each of us, when we're working what kind of systems can we bolt on? Like I'm, now I'm talking software, automations, things like that to reduce the workload of that human being. Because I would like to do like 400 deals with 15 people instead of having to make 40 people, build 40 people in the company to do double what we're doing, right? And so I think back to like my flying time as a pilot. We have something in the airplane called trim. And all it does is make small adjustments in the, the elevators, the ailerons, the rudder, to reduce the human workload. So when you're flying, you're multitasking. You have to fly, you have to talk, you have to listen to the radio. So when you just go start flying for the first time, you are all over the place. You have no idea what's going on. I've seen students 
shut down. They can't even talk. They definitely can't hear. And they're, all they're doing is motor skills. And so all that trim and all the different features and things that are inside of an airplane are designed to reduce the human workload. And the same thing in our businesses. We can take it to our business to, if we can reduce human workload to the point where they can focus on the bigger stuff and the other things happen automatically, how many hours do we get back? And then they can either work a little bit more or make more money. So that's kind of how I looked at it. Taking lots of notes. That's good stuff. Good stuff. So, you know, let's first talk about how you found the right people. Now, I've struggled with that in different times, numerous hiring processes and trying to find that person, you know, and, and then obviously train them. Or, you know, do I find somebody that has these skills or do I just find somebody that has the work ethic and then just put the time in to train them? Or, you know, I'd love to know just, your, you know, what's been your philosophy of finding those, those people who've been the rock stars in year 15? Yeah, so I did the same thing. I struggled as well. So it's not, and what I've learned along the way is that I've got to know who I really work well with. If I'm going to be involved in their day-to-day operations, they're going to be on the team. So I define my core values. That's step one. Everybody gives that lip service. If you come to any of our events, you ever heard me speak on a podcast, you've probably heard, or a webinar or anything. That's all I talk about. Core values, core values, core values. Because if you don't know what they're walking into and who they need to be, then let's take it back a step. Do you ever have somebody in your company who you can't put your finger on it? They're just not the right fit. Like they, they do an okay job. They're, they're pretty good, but you're like, something's a little off. Like I can't really place it, but something's not right. Like their performance is okay. They seem to be nice, like, but something's off. It's typically a core value violation of some sort to you. Like you can't, or you go to a party and you meet somebody you're like, I just really don't like it. We don't get along, right? That's where the values come in. And it's not the skill set because I feel like the skill set can a lot of times be taught. You have to have some sort of background in what you're doing, but the core values can't change. You're basically, they're ingrained in you since you're like, some people say five years old, some people say 12 years old. I really think like in your early ages, you've got these core values that you're moving forward in. So I look for that. I define my core values in my company. We have five core values. Every single person in the company can say what they are and define them. And then what we do is we hire based on that. So that's what I look for. We write an ad that's specifically based to that core value and profile. So we also look for certain personalities and certain roles. There's some roles that I need somebody who can't, I don't want them to see the future. I don't want them to see, you know, 10 steps ahead. I want them to be dialed into what they're doing and be very detailed. And then I want somebody who's a really good salesperson who probably isn't that detailed, but they're really good with people and they're really driven and money hungry and things like that. So core values, number one. Number two, we define the role. And then we define a personality around that role. Like what does that seat look like and what kind of personality fits it? And then we write the ad. So we write the ad based on the bullet points and adjectives that we want to attract that kind of person. So if I want somebody that doesn't see the future, I don't want to see, are you a forward-thinking visionary that wants to change the world, right? I'm going to say, do you love working from home? Do you like to be focused on one task and not be distracted? Do you like working in groups if I want somebody who's really social, you know? And we write it to that. So I attract that person. And I also, what it does is it reduces my workload. It detracts the person who it's not. So I don't want somebody to apply if it's not going to be the right fit. And then we have a couple other hoops that they jump through. Like they have to apply through our certain link. They have to attach their resume to our personality profile software. And if they don't jump through all those hoops, then we don't even talk to them. I don't talk to anybody until I have a perfect personality profile fit. I have a resume that typically has a background of something that I'm looking for. And then I get on the phone with them or my CEO gets on the phone with them. So that's our structure. And then the interview process is very much diving into who they are not necessarily their background or history. I mean, if they bounced around from job to job 10 different times in every six months, that's something we might not even entertain, but we dig into who they are. Like, what do they want to do? What's their future look like? All that stuff. 
before we start talking about the job role. You mentioned personality fit. You know, how do you test that? Yeah, so we use a software called Culture Index. It was like my ace in the hole for a long time that I actually read, if you uh, read Traction by Gino Wickman, they also wrote a book called Rocket Fuel. And in Rocket Fuel, he talks about this thing called Culture Index. And it's a personality profile that has a pretty high fidelity. And it's basically index-based personality survey. So, you know, 100 and some 160, 170 words, they just click the words that they're attracted to in there. And it's designed to show a couple dots that I'm trained to read that I can see who they are. And we use DISC for a long time. And what I found with DISC is it's very manipulatable. I can manipulate it very easily. If you gave me a job description right now and gave me the DISC assessment, I would create the profile that you would be looking for for that job role, just knowing what I know. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 